the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this new series focusing on the final week of Jesus, and it's called Seven Days. And if it were your final seven days on earth and you knew it, how do you want to be remembered? Jesus gave us some wonderful insight as to how we are to remember Him. Jesus is King. Is that true for you? And if so, what makes this true? And what does that mean for you? How will you approach life and live differently knowing that Jesus is your King? You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the media page for this series, Seven Days, as seen at reallife.org. It's part two of the message called, Who Are You Following? It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. The call to follow Jesus is a call to follow the King. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just one of the many options, one of the many voices. No, no, no. He is the King. And this passage, in so many ways, makes that crystal clear. The call to follow Jesus is the call to follow the king. Now, let's take a moment and talk about the kingdom, because one of the things we understand if we look at the scripture is that Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about the church. Okay? It's because it wasn't launched yet. Okay? He, he obviously was the first one to talk about the church. He said, you know, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he did talk about the church. He talked about something that he was going to build. The apostle Paul is really the one who more taught us how to be the church. But Jesus didn't talk a lot about the church. He talked more about the kingdom, because he wasn't just bringing and building one community. He was transforming the world, and he was bringing about a kingdom. Now, for us, we don't use that phrase a lot. So when we say a kingdom, well, we think of nation states. You know, there's the United Kingdom. Some people refer to Saudi Arabia as the kingdom, you know, and we understand the literary and the historical references there. But when we think of kingdoms, it's kind of like, no, 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 no. We think of, of nation states. Well, in Jesus' day, the idea of kingdom was crystal clear. They understood kingdoms. A kingdom had a different king had a different rule of law, had a different language. It was different. And when you, it was very clear when you were leaving one kingdom and entering another. And what Jesus is making clear in his constant teaching of the kingdom, think how many times he talks about the kingdom. How many of the parables begin with, well, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells you, it's like a mustard seed. It's like tares of wheat. It's like all, all these different things. He tells these different stories designed to help us understand what the kingdom is like. You see, he is ushering in a kingdom that is going to rule creation. God is king, empirically. He created all. He is Lord over all. But sin caused a rebellion that started a subversive counter-kingdom, if you will. And Jesus Christ came to restore order as God created it, to restore the kingdom. 
So all this teaching, all this gospel teaching, everything about the kingdom is we're leaving one kingdom and entering into another. And this is the difficult part for us. This is the part that's challenging. Because when you start talking about the king and the kingdom, it becomes crystal clear something's changing. And we are leaving the kingdom of man for the kingdom of God. We're leaving the kingship of man and entering into the kingship of God. And that's, that's tough because, you know, in our own lives, we want to be king. You know, that's, I've told you before, one of the hardest things about it, if, if I can pretend there's not a God, if I can explain away God, then that really works well for me because I get to be God in my own little circle, in my own little world. You know, the kingdom of man says man is the ultimate, the highest, the final authority. So if I can kind of manipulate it to where I'm the man in my own little setting, or maybe if I could even kind of rise up politically or rise up with wealth or power, I could be the man in bigger and bigger settings, then, then I can kind of be like God. And nobody's going to tell me because I do what I want. And that's the very core of the sin nature, isn't it? That's the core of the sin nature is I do what I want. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what it's all about. And into that comes the message of the kingdom that says, no, 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 I want, you to, I want you to leave the kingdom of self, of flesh, of rebellion against God. I want you to enter into the kingdom of God, where he's king. This is one of the hardest things for us to wrap our heads around, and I, I dare say even more than our heads, our hearts around. Saying, okay, I'm not going to be king anymore in my own life. I am going to surrender that to Jesus, and I'm going to become part of the kingdom of Jesus. See, the call to follow Jesus is the call to follow the king. And the minute I declare him king, I'm declaring myself subject. The minute I call him Lord, I'm calling myself servant. There's powerful implications to this doctrine that we're talking about here. The call to follow Jesus is the call to follow the king. Now, through this passage, we see several different things about this king and about this kingdom that I want to point out. The first is this. Jesus is a king who comes in power and authority. Jesus is a king who comes in power and authority. That little illustration for those two disciples and for the others. He has power over nature. Whether that be the seas, whether that be a colt of a donkey, whatever it is. He has power and he has authority. And he is working in ways and through people that we don't know about. You see, there was a glimpse. They were given, again, another glimpse of this is not just some prophet. This is not just some good teacher. No, no, Jesus has power and authority. He is a king with power and authority. And his is a kingdom with power and authority. And that's hard for us because we've lost all idea of authority. Authority for us is generally something that you kick against, unless you have it, and then you hang on to it, you know, for dear life. Jesus is a king who comes in godly power and authority. See, they're given just a glimpse of the ultimate reality. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Okay, I want you to see that again. Who, though he was in the form of God, understand, because that's, that's what we're talking about. Jesus, part of the Godhead. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then down verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, he was God. And Paul was saying, he's, through, he, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He voluntarily laid that down by taking the form 
of a servant. So he left his original form and he took on a different form, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, there's that word again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now listen, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, that's the ultimate reality. And here on what we call Palm Sunday, this passage we're looking at, this triumphal entry, they're given a glimpse of the ultimate reality. He took the form of a servant, but his actual form was that of God, of king. And one day, the scripture says, every knee will bow. So all these different little social things where everybody's throwing about their opinions about Jesus, do you know one day all that is going to just be silenced? And it's like, a lot of people going, oh dang, I was wrong. No opinions anymore. When he is exalted, yeah, all the opinions get thrown out. I think Jesus would do that. I like my Jesus like this. Oh, I'd like to think of Jesus this way. Yeah, none of that when he is high and exalted, lifted up, and God exalts him. Every knee bows, every tongue confess one thing, he is Lord. The glory of God the Father. That, you can take it to the bank. That is objective reality. That is going to happen. That's what the scripture is talking about because it's just true. And so what I want to say for now, though, that has some very, when we say he is God, he is king, that has some very powerful ramifications. One, it implies submission. He is king, he is leader. My life, I, yeah, he, he gave us free will. And some, of you, some people might just go, what was he thinking? Because boy, have we screwed up life with free will. Understand something, uh, without free will, we're just robots. Without the ability to say no to him, we don't really have the ability to say yes. We're just programmed. And so he gave us that freedom. And so many of us have used our free will to rebel against him, walk in our own way where I'm king. Well, repentance, the very idea of repentance says, my way's hurtful. I don't want my way anymore, Jesus. I surrender to you. Understand, some people talk about, well, he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. That's ridiculous. That's the schizo Jesus thing. It doesn't exist, right? There's only one Jesus, okay? It's not two Jesus. Well, Jesus has savior, but then when you get to grad school for Christianity, he becomes Lord. That's ridiculous, okay? Jesus as, when the minute you repent, that's an act of lordship. That's saying, I surrender. I'm turning from my way. Repentance means to turn in my thinking and in my behavior. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't stumble. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It just means I have made a decision. My way is hurtful. My way has hurt me, God, others around me. I am turning from my way to his way. That's what repentance means. And it is fundamentally an act of lordship and submission because he's the king and saying, I want you, Jesus. I want your way. Forgive me of my sin. Fill my life. Lead me in a different kind of way. It's powerful implications of repentance submission so when he's when i say this is my king i'm gonna follow him and we find a lot of times you know it seems like we maybe want jesus to follow us around i want i want jesus in my life i want his blessing on my work i want his blessing on my finances and i certainly want heaven and hell sounds really bad i don't want that but when it comes to who do you want to follow you know we treat jesus like the genie in the bottle we, you know oh jesus i need you now and we pull, pull him out of the bottle come, come, come on do your jesus thing Help my family member who's sick. Help my financial need. Help me get that job. Help me, help me, help me. Jesus, follow me over here. Instead of saying, okay, Jesus, you're now the leader. You're the king. I guess I'm going to follow you. So what are we doing today? 
How do you want me to handle this thing, Jesus? A totally different perspective, submission. But if he's our king, interesting, we don't need to be afraid. If, he's, if he really, truly has power and authority, we don't need to be afraid. You're following the king and he's powerful. And, and by the way, he's also victorious. You know that. He will ultimately be, be victorious. Let me give you a hint. I've read the back of the Bible. We win. He wins. All those who will come to him win. Whosoever will wins in him. That's how he does it. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called, Who Are You Following?, which is available right now on the media page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Seven Days, where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message, Who Are You Following? This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. So we don't have to be afraid. So many of us, as followers of Jesus, because of the cultural onslaught and all the stuff we've got to face and the people who are like, oh, you really believe that stuff? And we get real insecure. I get really nervous when I see insecure Christians with a self-image problem. Because what that suggests is we don't, it's not really so much even about how I see myself, it's how I see him. It's how I see him, and that's a problem. How I see myself can have problems too, and it's important. I should have a healthy self-image. But even more important is how I see him, because that's objective reality. And if I'm walking around as an insecure believer, always afraid, something tells me my vision of him is incorrect. I'm not seeing him as he truly is. The call to Jesus, to follow Jesus, is a call to follow the king. Second, this makes crystal clear, his is a kingdom established in worship. His is a kingdom that is established in worship. Now, we've talked about what worship is. Worship is what you put first, okay? Worship is what you put first. But this kingdom is not one that is externally kind of imposed or dictated, which often kingdoms were in their understanding. This is a different kingdom. It is established in worship. It is internally birthed and motivated because it comes from a heart of worship. It is a kingdom That involves worship. And obviously, as we look at the crowd, many in that crowd were obviously singers, not worshipers. Because when the crowd was singing, they were there. They were waving their hands. They loved the the songs. They loved the praise. They loved the palm branches. They loved the pomp, the circumstance. They loved it all. 
But when it came time and things got tough, so many said, yeah, I don't know that I love Jesus. <laughs> I, I love the party. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready to like, put him first. See, many in the crowd were obviously singers, not worshipers. Matthew 7, 21-23, I love this passage. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because we say it. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Very different. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, and you need to hear the broken-hearted sadness in this. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, it's not about saying, Lord, Lord. He doesn't want your words. It's not about prophecies and casting out demons. It's not about your works. He doesn't want your words. He doesn't want your works. He says, the tragedy would be that I never knew you. He doesn't want words. He doesn't want works. He wants us. He wants you. See, that's what worship is all about. It's about a heart that is fully his. And this is a kingdom that is established in worship. One of the funny things is Luke 19 is one of the great passages establishing who Jesus was. The Pharisees, their concern, the teachers who came and said, Jesus, quiet your disciples down because they were worshiping him. They're doing it because of Exodus 34, 14, that says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In other words, worship belongs only to God. You see, that's why they told him to stop, because they thought, well, this must be blasphemy, because you're you're letting them worship you. Which, if Jesus wasn't God, it would be blasphemy. It would be a violation of Exodus 34, 14. The problem is the Pharisees couldn't see who he was because they weren't worshipers. They weren't worshipers. They were religious, but they were not worshipers. Understand that is such a huge thing. And even today, we have so many who kind of, they want to take care of the eternal fire insurance. They, they, they kind of feel comfortable in the rules and the regulations of the, the religion they were raised in. And so they walk in a type of religion. I, can, I know it better. I can obey the rules better. And so I'm kind of good at this. So I'm going to do my religion. But whether or not they actually surrender their hearts fully to Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and become worshipers with Jesus, that's a totally different thing. And these Pharisees, they simply couldn't see it because they weren't worshipers. They were religious. Their brand of religion had sucked the heart, the worship, out of relationship with God. And so when they saw Jesus, they didn't even give it a, a moment's thought. Others with hungry hearts, others who really worship God, who had a love of God and a fear for God, when they heard Jesus, something inside them stirred. And that heart of a worshiper was stirred because their focus was on Father. Their focus was on knowing him. Their focus was on the hope of Messiah. And they were waiting and looking and anticipating because they were worshipers of God. And so when they saw Jesus, they recognized him. Remember what Jesus said? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. True worshipers saw Jesus and thought, oh my gosh, that's got to be him. He looks just like the God I've grown up worshiping, that I've loved, that I've longed for. This passage highlights something that I think is important for us to understand. True worship is very unsettling to non-worshippers. It wasn't that they would just kind of live and let live. 
And by the way, you'll notice as you really begin to follow Jesus, as you go hard after Jesus and and your heart is fully his and you are putting him first and you begin to make decisions that are a little different because they're not what common sense would do or what the status quo would do or what, you know, conventional wisdom says, but it's what Jesus says. When you begin to make those kind of decisions, you'll notice people around you who you would think, well, they're always saying live and let live. Why won't they just live and let live with me? It's because worship is convicting because every single person was created to worship. We have a heart of worship. We're all going to worship something. So when you see a true worshiper following Jesus, it is unsettling. It can be very off-putting to those who know they're supposed to be a worshiper. I've seen it around church. I've seen kind of what I'll call seasoned saints. People have been around the church a while and have kind of gotten into the groove and, you know, kind of a little cool in their faith. And they see some young believer come around and this person's just loving jesus and they're talking about jesus and they're seeing god do stuff and And you see the eye rolls from the more experienced seasoned christians oh just wait you'll settle down what's really going on there is they feel a little guilty because something in their heart knows i'm supposed to be passionately in love with jesus like that i'm supposed to be experiencing the goodness of god like that i'm supposed to be passionate about sharing who he is with others just like them And what comes off as condescension is really rooted in conviction. Worship is unsettling to those who are non-worshippers. And, you know, when you talk about what a heart of worship looks like, well, really, it's the whole thing of the king. Every one of our hearts, there's a throne. There's a first place. And that's what it really is. It's a throne that belongs to the king. And whatever we put on that first place is what we worship. And when we become part of the kingdom of God... And when we follow Jesus in the kingdom, there can only be one who sits on that holy, sacred throne of our heart, and it's him. And it changes everything. Because everything that flows out of that heart now will be worship. Decisions you make, how you spend your money, how you order your time, how you treat people. It all, everything that flows out of that heart of worship where he's first becomes an act of worship and obedience. Because he's on the throne. See, the call to follow Jesus is the call to follow the king. Last thing, he is a king who absolutely loves lost people. This might be the most striking part of this whole scenario. How he responds in the midst of this huge celebration. Everybody's rejoicing, everybody's celebrating and partying because it is a beautiful worship time. And it is right and good. This is not in any way to denounce or be negative about what's happening around them. But something in Jesus looks and he sees all these who are worshiping. He tells the Pharisees, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. If I did, the very stones would cry out. This is right. This is in alignment with the reality of the universe as God designed it. And yet, as he looks past all these, he can't help but see those who aren't there yet. And see, he's a king who loves lost people. Romans 5, 8 tells us why. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This whole thing is about love. He is a king who passionately loves us. He absolutely loves lost people. This is a kingdom that reaches out to its enemies. Most, when you talk about conquering your enemies, well, this is a kingdom that does conquer its enemies, but it conquers its enemies with love. Because understand, this, this whole 
us and them thing that we get caught up in. And this is why our culture is becoming so toxic and broken. The us and them, everything leans back to politics. Really, if you declare I'm a Christian, then a bunch of people will paint you with all sorts of political baggage. And that's devastating. And we got to get out of that little mire, quagmire, whatever it is. We just got to say no. Say, forget it. I'm not going to be a part of it. Because, see, when we start saying, well, it's us and them, and we're on the right side, and they're on the wrong you, you need to understand, um, without Jesus, we're all on the wrong side. Without Jesus, we're all lost. And whoever they are, you know, the one you think they're the enemy and you want to point, and, man, God smite them, you know? <laughs> whoever they are, just understand, without Jesus, they are us. When it comes to needing Jesus, there's no us and them, it's just us. We are all lost without him, and that's why he weeps. And let me just say, if Jesus weeps over those who aren't here yet, shouldn't we? If Jesus weeps over those who aren't here yet, shouldn't we? This is something that, as, as your pastor, I just want to say, this should be the very heartbeat of every follower of Jesus Christ, wanting to see others experience the freedom, the redemption, the forgiveness, the presence of God, all the stuff that comes with being part of his kingdom, all the amazing blessings. We just got through with a series, Abundant Life and How to Pay For It, and we talked about the blessing of God, the goodness of God. Well, we should be experiencing that, and we should want to see others experience that. That's our heart. My challenge for us is that we be people who take that seriously and who join our Savior in weeping for those who aren't here yet. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message called Who Are You Following? or this whole series on the final seven days of Jesus' time on earth, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com